Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Episode 226 for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back. We are in the thick of it in the NFL, college football, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. For all you Giant fans, the Giants suck, so you might as well bet on all the other games. Head to the website today, use your mobile device, and get it on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts with that set. Episode 226 for the love of the game. Let's get this one. Shout out, you killing them. You be killing them. She got a freak, I'm dressed on. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Nouveau popping, got the ace on chill. You said your man don't make it cool. Well, I bet bad will. Quite good with the ladies. And they'll say the same. I'm getting more push. Now I'm label mates for Wayne. Cash money, young money. Nigga, we the illest smoking on that bomb. Got me higher than the ceiling. Yeah. And I'm just getting started, homie. Was wanna ride me like Marta, homie. Ha. Call me Mr. Rich. Hate paparazzi, so I'm on my private jet. Bad. Girl, you be killing them. You be killing them, girl. You be killing them. You be killing them, girl. You be killing them. You be killing them, girl. You be killing them. Welcome back, welcome back. Episode 226 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network with yours truly. It's ATH. We're back. And uh, NBA season is right around the corner. We're coming to you on a Tuesday afternoon. And I can't wait for NBA season because I am sick and fucking tired of the New York Giants. All right? Last night, as I'm sure a lot of you know already, the New York Giants were at home. A Monday night football. Daniel Jones, 1-11 and in primetime games going into last night. And what do you know? The Giants got curb stomped 24-3 at home against the Seattle Seahawks. Thank goodness for NBA season being around the corner because the Giants season is over. I said this over the weekend. It was Sukkot. I was talking to some guys in synagogue talking about the Giants I said this was the inflection point game I even though they looked rough for the better part of three weeks I said this is the inflection point game I was confident in them going into the season to maybe win nine games ten games I looked at the NFC and I thought the Giants could be in the mix well guess what that shit is over and done with because this Giants team is arguably the worst team in the NFL. Right now, they have the worst point differential in the NFL. Now, you could say, Aaron, they're missing Andrew Thomas. They're missing Saquon Barkley. They have statistically played the hardest schedule in the league in terms of strength of schedule. And I would say, yes, all those things are true. But watch the damn film. What about this team makes you think that they can figure it out and turn a corner and be anything resembling the team that won a playoff game last year? What about it? The defense can't tackle, can't stop a nosebleed. The very, very expensive defensive line that they built with high draft picks 
and paying Dexter Lawrence, who's been okay for them, hasn't lived up to the hype. Kayvon Thibodeau has not lived up to the hype. Aziz Ojolari has not lived up to the hype. Where are these guys? The offense is clearly struggling. Where are these guys? Make a play. The defensive backs, the rookie defensive backs that they were talking about in training camp have not been very good. The linebackers are slow. They can't tackle. They legitimately cannot tackle. It's unbelievable to me. And they aren't even the worst part of the team. Special teams. Every play on special teams, they lose. It's either a penalty or something that puts them behind the eight ball. And the special teams isn't even the worst part of the team. Because the award for the worst part of this Giants team right now is the offense. The offensive line is a fucking embarrassment. An embarrassment. Yes, Andrew Thomas, all-pro level Andrew Thomas has missed time. Yes. But still, it shouldn't be this bad. It should not be this bad. Evan Neal, who was drafted high in the first round, I believe seventh overall out of Alabama, looks like Eric Flowers just worse. Giant fans, we remember Eric Flowers and what a disaster that was. Evan Neal is worse. Worse. The rookie center is hurt. I mean, the Giants offensive line is so bad that they tried to mimic the Eagles' tush-push play on the first drive of the game on a fourth and one. And not only did the Giants not pick up the fourth and one, but two guys on the offensive line got hurt. The level of ineptitude on the offensive line is insane. It's absolutely insane. Beyond awful. And, and how is it getting better? Andrew Thomas is not making it that much better. It affects the way Brian Dable calls a game. But that, even that, is not the biggest disappointment for the New York Giants season. Daniel Jones is by far the biggest disappointment in this New York Giants season. Outside of one half of football against the Arizona Cardinals, who, yeah, they are a little bit more frisky than we thought they were going to be, has been abysmal. Abysmal. And Daniel Jones defenders will say, well, look, the offensive line's horrific. I mean, I just talked about how horrific the offensive line is. Well, guess what, my man? You're paid $40 million. Figure it the fuck out, okay? And as Dan Orlovsky pointed out on ESPN, and I said this while I was watching the game, there were four or five plays, and the Giants and Daniel Jones got sacked 11 times Monday night, 11 times, to a team in Seattle that hadn't had more than like three sacks in the first three weeks. 11 times they got sacked. But four or five of those were on Daniel Jones, not being able to direct coverage 
to a guy clearly coming off the corner. He doesn't throw it hot. He holds onto the ball and he gets walked. The sack fumble, that was on Daniel Jones. And the pick six that basically ended the game when they were driving down the field, down 14 to 3, and they actually look like they have something doing, right? And Daniel Jones, they're inside the 10, eyes down his receiver, Witherspoon, the rookie cornerback from the Seattle Seahawks, who's having a monster night, picks it off, 97 yards the other way, touchdown, the game is over. I had turned off the TV before that happened because I was so disgusted with Daniel Jones and his ineptitude. And my buddies on WhatsApp were saying the Giants are driving down the field, they may have a chance, so I got suckered back in. I turn on the TV and I see the interception. And I clearly see Darren Waller is not running free, but is breaking free. And Daniel Jones, all he's got to do is anticipate a throw. For one time in his fucking life, anticipate a throw. Loft it to the corner of the end zone. And it's a touchdown. That's not on the offensive line. That's on the fifth-year quarterback who's making rookie mistakes and is being paid very, very handsomely. $40 million guaranteed. And yes, I know they can get out of the contract after next year. And I sure as hell hope they do because he's not the guy. He cannot be making these mistakes. He can't have zero awareness of what's going on. Eyeing down receivers. Not rolling protection. Not seeing clearly somebody coming free off the slot for sacks. That's not on the offensive line. That's on the quarterback. And I'm so sick and tired of Giants fans who are constantly defending Daniel Jones. And again, I was optimistic about Daniel Jones going into this year. I always hated the contract. I thought that the Giants, like all teams who are not negotiating with Patrick Mahomes, should basically let their quarterbacks test the market. And as I said last episode, I believe the quarterback contract market is a bubble that is willing to burst because, again, unless you're Patrick Mahomes, no matter who's on the field, you're going to win 11, 12 games every year and have an above-average offense. And he even didn't look great Sunday night football against the Jets. But again... He's one of one. If you're being paid $40 million, you have to figure it out with a crappy offensive line. C.J. Stroud, the rookie for the Houston Texans, who, by the way, were projected to be absolutely dog shit this year. He's making it work with a bad offensive line. He doesn't have great receivers. He doesn't have a guy nearly as talented as Darren Waller on the roster. He doesn't have a Saquon Barkley on the roster. Now, again, Saquon has missed the last two games. But he's making it work. He's throwing for over 300 yards. He's throwing the ball in the end zone. He's completing passes. He has the most passing yards, or I should say the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL for any quarterback through his first four games. He can make it work, but the fifth-year guy who was supposed to take a leap, it's, can't make it work. Nope. Nope. The offensive line is really bad, but Daniel Jones is worse because he's regressed. And you saw it when he threw the pick six 
where Brian Dable showed him that if he just had any anticipation that Darren Waller was breaking free and he chucked the tablet at him. The Giants' season is over. It's effectively over. The Giants now should be in the market for one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. Caleb Williams, Drake May. Do I think they're worse than the Bears? No. But you know what? At this point, dare to dream. Dare to dream. Because they can't be much better than the Bears. And yes, even with Daniel Jones making big money next year, and again, they can get out of it, you could cut them, accept the debt, money, move on. Enough is enough. He's not the guy. Could he win in certain situations? Yes, we saw him win last year. But to be paid the amount of money that he's paid in a hard salary cap, you can't do it. So the Giants need to move on. No one to hold them, no one to fold them, they say. And the Giants need to fold this hand because this is absolutely an abomination. An absolute abomination. Anyway, considering the Giants season is done, before we bring on a recurring guest to talk about his football team, which is done, a little misery loves company, let's talk about the week's five picks against the spread. Last week we were three and two, so we are 11, eight and one on the year. Up first, I have the San Francisco 49ers, minus three and a half against the Dallas Cowboys. I know Dallas walloped the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots stink. I don't think Dallas is as good as San Francisco. I think San Francisco is one of the two best teams in the league, and I think they will take it to the Cowboys on Sunday. I've got the Rams plus five and a half against the Eagles. The Eagles may be 4-0, but I don't think the Eagles have been that impressive. So I'm going to ride with the Rams that have been frisky. Matt Stafford has been pretty solid. Puka Achua has been incredible. I'm going to ride with the Rams covering the 5.5 against Philadelphia. Third pick, we've got the Houston Texans, who were good to me last week. I got the Houston Texans plus 2. I've got the Houston Texans plus two against the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Houston Texans are going to win the game outright. So I think they're going to cover the spread. I know Atlanta's home. I don't really care. I don't have any faith in Desmond Ritter. Kyle Pitts, I, for his sake, I hope he demands a trade unless Atlanta's getting a quarterback there and going to completely waste the prime years of his career. If that's not the case, I've got Houston plus two in Atlanta. I've got the Tennessee Titans plus one and a half against the Indianapolis Colts. Mike Vrabel does it all the time when he's an underdog. Just when you think that you have the Titans figured out, you don't. I like them plus one and a half against the Colts. I think Anthony Richardson is not necessarily ready for a Mike Vrabel coach team. So I got the Titans plus one and a half. And then lastly, I got the Saints plus one and a half on the road against the New England Patriots because, quite frankly, the New York Giants stink while the New England Patriots may be just as bad. So again, to recap, San Fran minus three and a half, Rams plus five and a half, Texans plus two, Titans plus one and a half, Saints plus one and a half. Those are your week five picks against the spread. So without further ado, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to talk about his crappy football team, 
Misery loves company and his basketball team made a big trade when he had to him in just a matter of moments. Teased it in the monologue at the end of the monologue. There's nothing better than a Misery Loves Company podcast segment because the Giants stink, as you heard me just go a little ballistic about. Well, you know who else stinks? The New England Patriots stink. And the difference is, the difference between the Giants and the Patriots is that the Giants have an ascending head coach, as I mentioned in the monologue, even though it did not look good Monday night. And the Patriots have a declining head coach who may be the most overrated head coach in the history of sports, but they still cling on to the fact that he won all these Super Bowls with Tom Brady. So we have to have a recurring guest on. Mr. Avi Wexler is back to talk about the Patriots. Avi, misery loves company. You know, it's so funny that you and I have been growing up in, like, in our childhoods, like, basically both Boston and New York sports teams have been, like, very relevant. And I guess that's been the case, especially for Boston teams winning a lot in the last 20 years. But, like, the last two years, I feel like, for our teams, especially this past season, Red Sox, Yankees, Mets. I mean, you're not a Mets fan, but Red Sox, Yankees, stink. Patriots and Giants, stink. Celtics and Knicks have combined zero rings. You know, it's just, it's been, uh, and then uh, Rangers and Bruins have, you know, not won anything in like a decade plus, right? So it's just, it's been bad for our, for our, for our teams here. It's dark times. I mean, I, I went into this football season, or I should say starting back from the baseball season. Mm-hmm. Aaron Judge comes off the historic year, 62 homers. Right? So you're feeling okay about the Yankees? Like, they're just a stale franchise right now. I've ranted on this way too long. Way too many times. They're a stale franchise, but whatever. You thought they'd be playing games now, which they're not. The Mets, with Steve Cohen and, and Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, they thought they would repeat, you know, some success after winning 100 games. They did not. The Giants made the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Won a playoff game. They're a disaster. The Jets had their season taken from them four plays into their season. A disaster. Uh, the Knicks are in a good spot. And the Celtics, well, we'll talk about them because they made a trade. But it, it's not pretty right now. No, it's bleak. It's a bleak. It's bleak for the Northeast right now. <laughs> and, you know, I moved down to Florida where the weather is nice most of the year. But for those Northeasterners who really, like, that's why they're sports fans, because the weather is going to suck in a couple of weeks, and it's just going to be miserable and cold. Like, this is where we get our bitterness from. Yep. This is yep. where it stems from. So if, we, if our sports teams suck, we are really miserable. I kind of miss it a little bit, <laughs> to be totally honest. There's nothing, there's nothing like having, like, a nice hot bowl of, like, chicken soup, you know, and just watching your team just get absolutely pummeled. <laughs> Yeah, and, and letting off one of those, oh, motherfucking, like, slamming the door and, and yeah. leaving the room because it's 20 degrees outside. The wind chill makes it really miserable, and your team just lost 24-3. Okay, you're Patriots. You were kind of like me. You were really confident in the Patriots not being as bad as I thought they were going to be preseason, and they look like they're even worse than I thought preseason. Where are you at right now with this franchise? The franchise as a whole or the season? Because franchise as a whole... Oh, start with both. Start with both. 
start okay so franchise as a whole i just feel like we're like the cowboys fans who are just like removed from the 90s now where we had these decades of amazing success and now we're like just trotting out the same like oh look tom brady tribute and look at like our new lighthouse and our giant video board where it shows the six banners but like it's not fun watching games i only watch them if they're on prime time because there's nothing else that's on um but thankfully they're not gonna be on like this weekend like they're on the one o'clock games i'm not gonna have to watch them at all uh because why should i they're just not there it's a miserable product that they're putting out there so from a franchise standpoint they're just like kind of clinging on to the old uh you know no offense run the ball three times with a cloud of dust and then like maybe defense will help you win games but it's so miserable with the direction of the franchise right now. A lot of it, I think, is we started out the season, like, going in, we we were given the hardest schedule. Like, it was objectively the hardest schedule. Like, that's just how it is sometimes. And to be fair, we did play the Dallas Cowboys, who are a wagon, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are a wagon, the Miami Dolphins, who are also a wagon, and then the New York Jets, who are obviously a station wagon. But, like, you know, it's it's hard for me to be, like, the Patriots are so terrible Then I'm also watching teams, including your Giants, as you've said, and then just some other really bad teams and being like, oh, the Patriots are so screwed. Because I, right now, I feel like there are, like, five good teams. There are, like, two contenders. And then everybody else is just 50 levels of crap below. And I feel like that's kind of where our teams are right now. Well, the Giants actually, in terms of strength of schedule, uh, cumulative, they've played the hardest schedule so far. Yeah, which, which makes it, sense because they have the Niners and the Cowboys already. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it, it reflects that considering they have the worst point differential yeah. in the NFL right now. Uh, I, again, I, I ranted about them in a second, uh, or I should say a couple of segments ago. Um, but yeah, it's it's a mess right now. So we both have quarterbacks that let's just say are not making us very happy. Um, I already talked about Daniel Jones and the fact that, you know, the, the $40 million disaster, because he's not an elevator. Uh, Mac Jones has not been paid yet on an extension. Yeah. Are you more in the camp that Mac Jones stinks, flat out stinks, or are you more in the camp of, well, their skill position players are objectively the worst in football, and maybe he doesn't stink as much as he's showing. I'd say it's most likely the latter, but I still think he stinks. Like, in that Cowboys game, he threw two absolute ducks across the body that they teach you in, like, Pop Warner never to do. And, like, it doesn't matter if you have Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss up there. You don't make that throw. Like, it's a bad... Like, well, I mean, it definitely stuff. helps to have those It guys. definitely helps, but, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't help when it's Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster. And, like, there were times, especially, I think it actually might have been Mac's worst game as a pro, and that's saying something considering he got benched for Bailey Zappi in a primetime against the Bears last year. So for him to, <coughs> sorry, for him to uh, be this bad this far into the season when he's actually been okay, okay, not enough to win games because he's not, as you said, an elevator. He's basically, if you give him chicken salad, he'll make chicken salad. But if you give him chicken shit, he won't make you a chicken souffle, right? And that's what a franchise quarterback is supposed to be. Neither of our quarterbacks are like that right now. Our no. two quarterbacks 
look like they should be working in like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan in a financial firm, something like that, not actually playing quarterback for a professional football team. Both like how they physically look, but also how they play. The Jets Patriots game was objectively one of the worst eyesore like performances I've ever seen on a football field. Because you had Zach Wilson, who was terrible that Sunday. He actually played okay against the Chiefs, but yes. his okay was being celebrated like he's turning a corner and becoming a star. Let's all pump the brakes with that a little bit, right? It was this Jeremy Lin moment. You can, you can say it. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, for the Jets, it's not going to matter whether Zach Wilson's behind center or whether it's Trevor Simeon and whoever. They're going to yep. win three games. Yep. The, the season's over. Right? It's a disaster. Okay? Yeah. But whatever. The Patriots are the same way. Yeah. Because there's only about four, maybe three teams in the league that the Patriots could realistically beat, and the Jets are one of them. So the Patriots are also going to win about four games this year. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, that's the thing. I still don't know because, the re- I, as I said, like the rest of the league is so bad, and we just played – two of the top teams, or three, sorry, three of the top teams in the league, and we still haven't even played the Bills twice in our own division, right? So, <coughs> sorry, I know that, like, we're going to be playing the Raiders at some point who are horrible. I think we're playing the Broncos at some point who are horrible. And like, but you know what? The Patriots are also horrible. Right, so, like, I'm saying, like, we may not win the seven and a half games. I think that was the original over-under. But, like, I think we'll, I think we'll win at least – Four more games, you know. I'm gonna, I'm confident. I'm confident that that we'll win four more games. Like we're playing the Saints this weekend, and like I think Jameis might end up being the quarterback or Taysom Hill because Derek Carr can't throw a pass past five yards with his shoulder injury. So it's like, all right, maybe we can win this game. Just don't do anything stupid. But that's the problem. It's not a modern football team that's like constructed around offense. We're basically saying, hey defense be our anchor be our wagon be be a team that we need a, a score from you guys basically every game to keep us in it offense just don't don't make any mistakes and we can't you can't play 10 point 13 14 point offensive winning football in this league anymore that's not how the league is constructed well in my picks against the spread we're actually you know up three units right now so we've we've actually been pretty good one of my plays is the Saints plus one and a half over the Patriots. Like the fact that this that this Saints team is only a one and a half point underdog against the Patriots, the mighty Patriots is just it goes just to show you how bad the Patriots are right now because the Saints aren't like blowing the doors off of anybody either. No, no, definitely not. And like that's the thing. Like it's. It's just so it, – the offense is just so poorly constructed. Like, say what you want about Bill as a GM. He's amazing as a defensive GM, defensive coach. Like, that's objective. It's been expounded upon. They're going to be writing in the history books forever. Is he? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Question. yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, we can go through it. I, I did. Yeah, I went down the list. I mean, if you want to – if you want to tarnish Belichick's name for being without Brady – I have a oh, list here. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, but before okay, fine. I ask you that, because I, yeah. I, I do want to, you know, also point out that they gave up 38 points on, on Sunday. Um, yeah, I mean, 14 of them or 20 points of that came off of two pick sixes and a fumble in the end zone, right? I mean, it's like, this is true. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Um, you mentioned that the rest of the league. Yeah. 
is this the worst collective football that's being put on display week in and week out? Like, we're already into week five, and how many really good teams are there? Besides for the 49ers, I still say the Dolphins, the Bills, I still say the Chiefs. The Eagles have been good, but not stellar. Yeah, right. Who else is there? Like, the entire league sucks. Especially, honestly, especially the NFC. Like, I know that we said, like, before that the NFC is very, very top-heavy. But, like, I feel like it's even worse now because the league is worse now because of how bad the quarterbacks in the AFC have been, right? The Bengals have been terrible, right? They, they I still that haven't given up completely. I'm not giving up. No, I'm not giving up on them. I'm not giving up on the Bengals by any means. It's just, like, they're really digging themselves in a hole here. And it's, like... The Ravens aren't losing games. The Ravens are beating up all the teams in their own division too. So, you know, it, it's they like also look very sloppy. The, I just, yeah. I don't think there's like no really good teams. Well, I think that's because there's years. not there's just so many bad quarterbacks or young quarterbacks right now, especially in the NFC. So it's like, what do we really know? Like Jared Goff right now is arguably what the second or third best quarterback in the NFC. Yeah. Right. And- but I, I've always been a Jared Goff guy. I. Um, but that's my point, right? Like Jared Goff is fine. Than get it, he gets credit for. Yeah. It, yeah. The NFC. I mean, there's. It goes Jalen Hurts, right? And I think he's a product of his offensive line. Like I'm not sure he's a, even a top five quarterback. Like the tush push thing is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, it, it's it's Goff, Hurts, Purdy, and Geno Smith. Yeah. Like, those are the only guys who are considered good. Right, exactly. Like, that's the thing to me. And, like, by the way, so funny. And Cousins has sure. the numbers, but we know what Kirk Cousins is. We know yeah. what Dak is. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing also uh, is the tush, well, on the tush push, the Patriots tried to convert a tush push, and actually the blocking held out very well on the play. Mac just didn't move at all. Like, Mac, Mac is just, you know, a guy can't even complete the one-yard run that, like, Brady could do. Brady was amazing at that play before the Eagles kind of perfected it, but just, like, can't even get a yard. It's unbelievable. I will one-up you on the tush-push ineptitude because the Giants on the opening drive on Monday Night Football tried the same thing, and not only did they get stuffed, but two of their starting offensive linemen got hurt in the process. So that is next-level ineptitude. Okay, let's talk about Belichick. It's time. <laughs> it's time before I get angry at my, uh, my own team all over again. Um, the league's passed him by. It, it's, it's over. I don't know about that. I, look, here's the thing. If you had to go back into the history of, of the NFL... Here are, the, here are the coaches that have won a Super Bowl, that are in the Hall of Fame, that have won a Super Bowl without a Hall of Fame-level quarterback. All right? I don't think Sean McVay's in the Hall of Fame yet, so I can't put him in there. And I don't think Matt Stafford's a Hall of Fame quarterback, so I take that out, for example. Right? The closest one I could get to is Pete Carroll in 2014 with the Legion of Boom. So a Hall of Fame-level defense and a quarterback who was like on the Brock Purdy grind to basically just like do what you're told, whatever. After that, Harbaugh with Flacco, maybe Harbaugh's, right? I guess Harbaugh's a Hall of Fame uh, coach. But, you know, other than that one Super Bowl run, they haven't really done that much in the playoffs. You know, the Giants, your Giants with Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. I know Coughlin's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Same with Eli Manning. But they probably both will be, right? They're a product of each other's success. And then if you just keep going down the list, 
basically the last other time is the Giants in 87 with Lawrence Taylor and that amazing defense that was led by Bill Belichick. So, like, you know, it's... it's well, it's very easy to, lead, to, you know, lead an awesome defense when you're being coached, on, you know, over by Bill Barcells, who's one of the great coaches ever. Sure. And Lawrence Taylor that year won the MVP. He's the last defensive player to win the MVP. And right. they absolutely... And Phil Simms was, was more than serviceable. So... Sure. sure. But my... Yeah. The, the Belichick thing, like him being a genius and above everybody else, those days are long gone. That and, may be true. That may be true. But like, but I'm just saying, like, just putting it in context, every Hall of Fame coach essentially has had to have a Hall of Fame level quarterback, right? Bill had Brady. Tony Dungy had Peyton Manning. Andy Reid was known for choking until he finally had Mahomes. Big Ben had... Uh, Bill Cower, who was already a Hall of Fame coach, and then he had Mike Tomlin, who I who I think we could both agree is going to be a Hall of Fame coach too. Yes, right. Uh, Sean Payton had Drew Brees. Otherwise, he has been horrible, especially in the playoffs. Mike McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers. Right. So, I mean, where have those two guys been without each other? Dick Vermeil had Kurt Warner. Mike Shanahan, who somehow isn't in the Super Bowl, had John Elway, and then Jimmy Johnson had Troy Aikman, and and uh, and Bill Walsh had Joe Montana. I just uh, name another Hall of Fame coach that I'm not that I'm not putting up there. That had that didn't have the Hall of Fame quarterback. But the difference is, is the Patriots fans for years were clutching onto this thing of Belichick. That Belichick was the end all and be all. He was the genius of all geniuses, and they honestly believed that it was a 50-50 split between him and Brady. And the and it's so false because without Brady. Belichick has a career record that is close to 20 games under 500, and Tom Brady, after the age of 40, went to another team and won a Super Bowl, and Belichick right now is trying to prove that he can do it without Tom Brady, and guess what? He's failing miserably, because he also picks the team, and he hasn't drafted well in a decade. He's drafted well on certain parts, but on the skill players front, I can't argue with you at all. So yes, you're right. When it comes to drafting offensive skill players, terrible at it. Couldn't couldn't be worse. What's it going to take Kraft, who already has a dicey relationship with Belichick, to say, I've had enough, Bill, great run, but it's time to go? I, I can only see it happening if they literally don't win another game this season. I don't see it happening this year. I think, to be fair to him, Bill did acknowledged that he made a mistake with the whole Matt Patricia experience last year. But at the same time, he then brought in Bill O'Brien, who actually was a good coordinator and a good head coach with the Texans. Bad GM, but good head coach. And still the results aren't there. Part of that is because Bill's personnel on the offensive side have been bad. On the defensive side, we're without currently our top four corners, including eventually future rookie of the year, Christian Gonzalez, who's now out for the year. Matthew Judon, who was led, who was fourth in sacks since he's been on the Patriots. Like, we're, all, we're missing key guys on defense now playing against really good teams. And then offensively, it's been all bad, and that's a product of him. And I won't deny that. So I don't know at this point if that is the final nail in the coffin for Bill. I don't think it happens regardless. I think Kraft has said he wants Bill to pass Shula uh, on the Patriots. I was just about to ask that question. Yeah. Is he only still there because he's chasing the wins record? I don't think so. I think it's like, because I, I think Belichick is going to keep going until he like thinks that there's nothing left that he can do. And I think that 
if he fired him now, Belichick would just go to another team that would hire, like the Chargers, for example, could hire Bill Belichick, and then they, you know, could actually be an AFC, they could be a real AFC contender, right? Like, I think Bel- I think Kraft is so scared of basically pushing Brady out the door and seeing Brady go and win a Super Bowl that seeing Belichick go and do that, it's like watching from a Red Sox perspective, watching Mookie Betts get traded and then go to the Dodgers and win a, and win a World Series. Like, you don't want to make that mistake again. So you're going to kind of have to let Bill come to terms with his own uh, demise and step away. I don't think they're ever going to fire him. All right, last thing on the Patriots, because we got to switch gears, because NBA Media Day is upon us, and I think both of us think that this is a nice breath of fresh air, considering our football teams are in the shitter, uh, yeah. both of them. Um, if I gave you the over-under four-and-a-half Patriots wins, what would you take? I'd take the over. I just like our schedule kind of evening out a little bit, and I don't trust the rest of the league. I still trust Belichick over the rest, most of the league. I'm going to take the under 4-13 and 13 for the Pats, and that may be better than my New York Giants, which I hope it. I hope the Giants are 2-15 and 15 because I'd rather Caleb Williams or Drake May or somebody else because I've had the door of Daniel Jones. All right, moving on, NBA. Your Celtics made a, made a trade. They picked up Drew Holiday after Drew Holiday was involved in the Damian Lillard trade to Milwaukee. They picked up Drew Holiday for Robert Williams. They sent out Malcolm Brogdon. They sent out a, a couple of picks, I think. Yep, one your of them was Golden State pick, yeah. Yeah, your thoughts on the Drew Holiday pickup for the Celtics? So when the Dame trade happened, I immediately thought that the Bucks actually got worse and really, so, make the case. I just think, based on how the Bucks are constructed, they need guys who can defend guards and wings, and they definitely they lost Drew Holiday, who, who who was very good at that, like objectively an All NBA level player, and now they don't have that. And as good as Dame is offensively, and as scary as Giannis is going to be in a pick and roll with Dame, I'm still not as afraid of that in a seven-game series because Dame is such a liability on defense and that contract is such an albatross that I think that they really only hurt themselves, especially because they opened themselves up to Drew Holiday eventually finding his way to an East contender, which he did, which was with my Celtics. So just not having that in mind and not including like the third team, like the Suns or or even a fourth team to take Drew away, I think that was a big mistake on their part. In, In... Included with the Damian uh, contract because like he's gonna be making like 50 60 plus at 38 and then you don't even know if Giannis is still gonna want to be there after one failed postseason right so I I don't think that they made the Bucks that much better I think it made them worse because Drew always made love uh, life tough for us especially the wings so you know for us to get him back is unbelievable we gave up nothing basically you can piece together if you're the Bucks you yeah. can piece together good I shouldn't say good, but serviceable, serviceable defensive players on the wing that you can just find. And if Chris Middleton's healthy, he's okay. Pat Connaughton's okay. He's going to have to play more point-of-attack defense. Right. But you can't recreate such efficient half-court offense, especially in the playoffs, as we've seen has been the Bucks' demise. So I think the Bucks got better. I, listen, I'm part of the Drew Holiday fan club, right? Yeah. I think he's awesome. I know the shooting has been tough in the playoffs the last two years. It, it's it's looked ugly, 
especially that's fine, though. But I think he's fantastic. Yeah. I wanted the Knicks to be in on him. Right. I, 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 I knew, once he got traded, I was just like, oh, Drew's going to go to a contender. And a lot of people were also saying that there was a chance that maybe the Kings or the Thunder were going to go after him. That would have been really cool, too. And that, that was probably what the Bucks' hope was. But, yeah, I think Drew is a great addition to this team because we're also not asking him to be a focal point on offense from a scoring perspective because we have Tatum, we have Brown, we have Porzingis, which I think means that Drew Holiday is going to have way less pressure on his shot, more creating a shot for others than just playing defense, which is what we really want him for. So from what he can do on defense especially, we're going to have two all-NBA caliber defenders at the guard position, right, because we're going to have Derek White and Drew Holiday. And say what you want, it was a down year for guards defensively that Derek White maybe doesn't isn't like objectively a top one, but he had that season last year, as did Drew, right? So having those two guys, then having Jalen Brown, who's a fine defender, not the best, but he's a fine, capable defender. Kristaps, who is underrated as he a cares. Player. Yeah, yeah, when he cares. Kristaps, who's actually not terrible. And then Jason Tatum, who is, once again, a very good defender with potential to be an all-NBA-level defender. He probably never will be because of his position, but regardless can play up to that level. I like that switchability, especially in the playoffs, because if they played the Bucks, I don't know who the Bucks switch off and onto with Dame, because I think that's a tough matchup. As good as Dame is, that's tough. And then on the other side, the Celtics, they can just hunt Dame all day. They can hunt Pat Connaughton all day. Yes, the Bucks can go find other people, but I kind of liked them having Grayson Allen there, honestly. And I think losing him is going to be bad for them. So, I don't know. I think that the Celtics came out way on top of this trade. Obviously, it doesn't matter until everybody steps on the court. But if I'm looking at the top, the East standings, I have the Celtics significantly ahead of the Bucks. as much as I respect Giannis and Dame. Drew Holiday can play the Marcus Smart role, but he's just better at everything that Marcus Smart did. Like, he's a, be- he's a better defender than Marcus Smart. He's a better catch-and-shoot three-point shooter than Marcus Smart. Here's where I- I'm going to tell you to pump the brakes. Your two biggest rivals in the East are beasts down low. Giannis and Embiid. And you guys are, are mighty thin. Mighty, mighty thin down there. Yeah. Porzingis is good. I, I like the pickup because of the versatility, but I think they're going to be best served playing him alongside another big. And... The depth right now for you guys is just not there, right? Yeah. You can do some flexibility, but like you're still relying on Al Horford, who's been in the league for God knows 50 years. He's old, yep. and Brzingis has an injury history, and yep. and Giannis is going to put Brzingis like underneath the basket. Like Embiid's yeah. going to do the same if you're going to go five out and have the advantage with him on offense. So you could make the same argument about the the Bucks with the Celtics in terms of their defensive identity. But I'll say this, those two teams are head and shoulders above the rest of the Eastern Conference. 100%. Yeah, I would say the 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 thing that we're that I'm afraid of also is the big depth. But as good as Rob Williams was, he was not on the court enough and he also would be a liability sometimes when it came to switches especially on those guards. So that's something that like I was like, okay, if I can't rely on him all the time, as good of a contract as he is and as good of a defensive player as he is with the metrics and everything, he doesn't give you anything really offensively unless it's rim running on a pick and roll, right? He can't shoot. And then defensively, 
he's not amazing out on the perimeter and has trouble switching. So I would say that those are like the two issues that I had with Rob, or three issues that I had with Rob. So yes, if they can find some guys just down low who can just kind of be like Kevon Looney type, where you can just kind of sit in the post and bother Giannis and bother Embiid, that's fine. But compared, I mean, I think the 76ers are the biggest losers of this all because they're only just up, they're only pushing up that, that clock for Embiid to find his way to JFK. Or oh, 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 I'm monitoring. I am yeah. monitoring. And yeah. every day that Harden is still on the roster, it becomes more and more of a disaster. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, the Harden thing is what's making it a mess because, you know, Miami on the surface is the big loser here because, like, they thought they had it in the bag with Dame. They obviously didn't get him. They would have been a great fit for Drew Holiday. He fits them to a T. To a T. Yeah. But for some reason, they didn't get a deal done. I mean, I'm sure there was probably animosity on Portland's side with the way the Damian Lillard thing was handled over the summer. It has yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. But the Miami Heat put together rosters. Like, they find Gabe Vincent. They find Max Struess. And even though those guys were really good for them and left, they are very capable of finding other dudes. And they've got the best coach in the league. So, yeah, Philadelphia not doing anything right now and Embiid looking around saying, like, what the hell is going on here is they're by far the biggest loser. I, I don't know why he right now is it like he should be getting traded, like, right now while his value is at its highest. And, like, you know, why not? You're basically saying, sorry, Joel, we tried, but they didn't really try. It's They're basically doing a Bill Belichick job constructing the offense around Mac Jones, except Mac Jones doesn't have an MVP to his name, right? So, like... Obviously, I'm not comparing the two. Like, actually, it's just like, why are you guys not doing everything you can to maximize this amazing talent that you have? Or in the Patriots' case, rookie contract, right? Well, I think they did, but this is what happens when you hit your wagon to James Harden, who's an all-time choke artist and an all-time destroy your franchise guy. And and Jimmy Butler. And and all they had to do was just keep Jimmy Butler – and then they could have what Miami has in Philly. Instead, they don't. And I just total fumble of the bag. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But I think we're both in agreement that the Drew Holiday is a lot like the Giannis deal, that you sacrifice depth for high-end talent, and you can figure out the other stuff around it because it's just harder to find the higher-end guys who can definitely be impact players. Yep. Yep, definitely. Now, what, we'll go on this. Uh, what if I said that, that Jalen Brown, newly minted $330 million Jalen Brown, is the fourth best player potentially on the Celtics? What would you say? Well, I would say that we definitely won the two trades that we made this offseason, if that's the case. So, like, I'm okay with that, you know? That is a, that is, that is a very positive spin zone, and... <laughs> I just I, I can't believe I saw that video today of him dribbling with his left hand and he's not capable. Like I oh my God. I just that's the worst contract in the history of sports. I'm sorry, it is. I mean, is it is it worse than Rudy Gobert? Ultimately, the Celtics, because I know the analytics darlings love them. I know they're always high up in the championship odds in terms of futures betting and futures market for uh, the NBA title. I think ultimately that is going to be their Achilles heel and the Celtics can only really maximize Jason Tatum until they find the trade partner. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where just because of how the league goes now, like these guys, like Dame, is like, I'm going to sign this max, and then two years later I want out, or a year later I want out. So, you know, if it doesn't work out, and then Jalen's like, get me out of here, they'll find a trade partner, and I'm sure we'll get a solid return, and then we can actually focus on a different court. I, I'm still, I'm still hopeful that they can make it, that they can make it far. I mean, they won. They, they, they lost in six games in the NBA Finals two years ago. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals, what, three of the last four years. So, like, there's a reason that they're favorites almost every year. They're clearly competitors. I, I'm, I, and I like that the, both, the fact that they're both not even 28 years old. So, you know, keep building around them. And then when Jalen inevitably wants out, then we'll deal with it when we get there. But I'm okay with that. I'm happy with how the Celtics are right now. And honestly, they got better this offseason because Drew Holiday is really, really good. Really, really good. So you can't hate on that. Avi, we're going to have to have you on because we do our um, over-under, so we're going to reconvene soon. Brothers in arms when it comes to shitty football teams, our basketball teams, well, we have different expectations, but both are trending in the right direction, yep. so that's good. Whatever. The NFL sucks anyway. Who cares? It was good to catch up. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks again to recurring guest Avi Wexer for coming on to do a joint sadness episode. The Giants stink. The Patriots stink. Talked a little bit about the Drew Holiday trade. We're going to have him back on to do NBA Eastern Conference over-unders like we do every year. Excited for that. One quick thing on the Giants that I forgot to mention in the monologue because somebody asked me this earlier in the week. Somebody asked me if I was off Brian Dable, if I've lost confidence in Brian Dable. The answer is no. I still think Brian Dable is a really good coach. I still think he can figure it out. I just think that... Joe Shane needs to help him out a little bit because his draft history, let's just say, hasn't been super pretty, and the Daniel Jones thing is an albatross. So, yeah, that's where I stand. Giants stink. Tank for Caleb Williams. We'll see what happens. That's episode 226 for the love of the game. Take us out. Bow. In a fitted cap and some Timbos. In a pair of flats, well-trimmed toes. Camera in the mirror, BBM pose. Still killing them with swords. You still killing them as was. You still killing them as was. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.